You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. So start by knowing what you own and owe, and we'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demandmorenow. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. I am very excited about this show. I don't know if you remember, but a few months back, I had the opportunity at the FinCon conference, which is where financial nerds proudly gather each year to moderate a panel on the FIRE movement. FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it has grown to be a movement in large part because of a podcast called Choose Fi, or if you're spelling it, it's Choose Fi. And Choose Fi is hosted by two great guys, Jonathan Mendoza and Brad Barrett. And in a little over a year, they've got 3 million downloads, 170 countries, and 100 Choose Fi Facebook groups across the country. They're making me feel like a slacker. Jonathan and Brad, welcome. Gene, thanks so much for having us on the show. This is a real pleasure. Oh, well, thank you both for being here. Now, when I have two guests, I just like the audience to be able to understand who they're listening to. So that was Jonathan. Brad, say hello. Yeah. Hey, Gene. Thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. It is. It's a pleasure. For those of my listeners who are not familiar, what is the FIRE movement, and how has it become such a thing over the last year? Yeah, I think what it allows us to do is put an emotional aspect, a why, into the general conversation of personal finance. Um, I, you know, I think all of us kind of understand the golden years or like the years that you're allowed to do everything that you've really wanted. Now society has kind of given you the permission to go do that. And I was on a cruise ship recently, and it was filled with individuals that were finally getting a chance to, you know, pursue all their passions, all their dreams. But they, they were frankly, in many cases, were too old to actually leave the ship. They just, they just didn't have the help to do <laughs> oh. that. <laughs> and so, I don't just want my golden years, right? I want my best years. I want my years with my kid. And 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 I think financial independence allows us to build that why into the conversation, get us to a point where working is optional. Not to say that you don't work, but if you do work. It's out of a sense of purpose, out of a sense of meaning, out of a sense of it actually adding value to your life. And it's just it's a fun conversation because it's eminently replicable because it's just based on simple math. Well, it's really optimistic. But I, I think before we get to the math, and I, I do want to get to the math, and Brad, I'll lean on you for that because you're a CPA. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about early retirement, right, financial independence, retire early, there's this perception that everybody's quitting work at 40. And that's not true. Yeah, that's very unrealistic. I think, honestly, Gene, the FIRE acronym is really cute sounding, and that's kind of why we keep it around at this point. Uh, for us, we have ver- been very intentional about the FI, financial independence, because very few people who have the wherewithal to reach financial independence are just up and quitting and sitting on their couch and watching Netflix for the next 50 years. That's just not the way the world works. So it's about redefining what you want your life to be and to actually 
choose how you spend your most precious resource, your time, as you see fit. And to me, that's just incredibly empowering and liberating. So it's essentially getting out of the job that you hate and being able to do something that you enjoy, whether that involves earning an income or not. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, but not even the job you hate necessarily. You might like your job or you might like some aspects of it. But to have the choice to spend your time as you see fit, like that to me is is kind of the key little distinction there. But but it's a big thing, right? Like you might love your job, so stay on it. Stay on it for the next 50 years. That's great. I don't care. But there might be aspects of it, meetings or TPS reports or something, right? Like that you just don't want to do. And maybe you can decide when you have that power of financial independence that, okay, I add value and I get value from this aspect of my job or this aspect of my life. So that's how I'm going to spend my time. And I just, I really, not to beat a dead horse here, but that is just so empowering to me. Yeah. Well, choice, I think, independence is all empowering. There is math involved in fire and there's high fire and there's low fire. Give us the nutshell version of fire math. One of the things that we focus on is it's not about how much you make, although obviously the more you make, the easier that this should be. It's about your expenses and more specifically your savings rate. So if you have an individual that is paycheck to paycheck, you're going to have to work for the rest of your life, for the rest of time. If, you have a, if you're saving 1% of your income, then it takes you 99 years to replace one year of expenses. If you can move all the way up, if you can save 25%, you know, you're going to need to work three years to replace one year of expenses. What we have seen though, is if you can get up to that kind of magical 50% savings rate, if you can save 50% of your income, one year of savings gives you essentially one year of freedom, right? At its most basic level. And then if you stack that, if you can save 50% of your income for a relatively short period of time, like 10 to 15 years, Mm -hmm. The magic of compounding investments is such that you have built essentially a perpetual money-making machine that with some reliability can fund your lifestyle for the rest of time. And that's loosely based off of the 4% rule, which I'm sure you've talked about before and we could talk about with, you know, go into a little bit farther. We like to think of it as the 4% rule of thumb, but basically even before we get there at its most basic level, is there a way for us to look at simple math and aggressive savings and use that as a vehicle to create a perpetual money-making machine. This isn't get rich quick, right? Get rich quick is a scheme that usually ends up with your money in someone else's pocket. But get rich quickish can work <laughs> every time because it's based on simple math. Well, okay. So the simple math is once you have 25 times your annual expenses, you're usually good to go, right? right. Yeah, that's that kind of the, the inverse of the 4% rule, as we call it. So yeah, that's exactly it. You would... You, you start with what you can control, which is your expenses. Okay, so right? wait, so, just just pause yeah. on expenses for a second sure. because we talk a lot about the benchmarks f- based on income for retirement savings. And and Jonathan, I know you you said we focus fire focuses on expenses rather than income. So my listeners are very familiar with you've got to make one or you should be trying to rack up one times your income by the time you're in your 30s and three times in your 40s and 10 times by the time you retire. Why the focus on expenses instead and then bring it back around to that 25 times? Yeah, I think with the retirement calculators, they're kind of fundamentally flawed at their essence because they look at your current income 
which kind of presupposes that you're saving nothing if you have to replace 100% of your current income. So I've always found them kind of somewhat comical. I mean, what you need to replace is the amount that you have in current expenses. That's that's the true income you need in retirement, let's say. So that's why like we focus on what we can control and what we can control are our expenses. So that's our starting point. Mm -hmm. So let's just say for argument's sake, this Gene is is gonna just quickly talk about that four percent rule just to sure, make that's a, okay. a little yeah, just a little more clarity behind that. So let's just say for argument's sake, your yearly expenses are $40,000. Now, for people in New York City or San Francisco, that might sound absurd. But for Jonathan and I live in Richmond, Virginia, and let's just say, uh, you know, when my wife and I, when we pay off our mortgage, that our yearly expenses might be around 40K. That's not unrealistic. So uh, you need, like you said, 25 times your annual expenses in your nest egg. So that would be 40,000 times 25 is actually $1 million. So now, like we said, the inverse of that is the 4% rule, which is just taking your net worth, in this case, 1 million, multiplying by 4%, and that's that same 40,000. So you can look at kind of the math either way. But th that gives you, whereas the you hear, oh, you need $5 million to retire or 10 million, like, People shut down when they hear those kind of crazy numbers because mm -hmm. it just sounds so unreachable. But for us, it's if you can frame it as, okay, you can control your expenses. And if there's something reasonable, like 40 to 60,000, well, to save one to $1.5 million over a working career and with the magic of compounding, that is not so unrealistic. So to me, again, it's that it's that control, it's that agency that you have that I can actually impact a difference on my life. And and that, again, is empowering. You threw out a statistic earlier, and I, I agree with you. I think to have savings of that multitude or magnitude is really empowering. You talk about saving 50% in order to get there quicker. That number sounds difficult for a lot of people. And so I want to dig into that in just a second. But before we do that, let me remind everybody, Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, the folks at Fidelity can help you evaluate your investment options and come up with more ways to grow your savings. You can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. We are talking with Jonathan and Brad of Choose FI, saving 50% of what you're earning. And granted, I am in the New York area, so that I think sounds harder when I look at it through that lens. But that sounds really, really difficult. I think there's a couple points here, and I think it helps to kind of simplify things that all of us are subject to the same equation. What you earn minus what you spend is equal to the difference or the gap. So when it comes to saving 50%, that tells us that we have some different options with what we target. And it's important just to set that frame because people are coming at this from different places. You can have an individual that's making minimum wage and paycheck to paycheck and an and individual that's making maybe $100,000 a year, multiples of $100,000 a year, and they're still paycheck to paycheck. And those two are just incredibly different. And the strategy that you take is going to be, in many cases, 
dependent on your unique circumstances. So, you know, so for the individual that's kind of drifting through life, they really haven't checked their finances. They have a good income. They're above the median income, but they're still paycheck to paycheck. I'm telling you just right out the gate, focusing on what is leaving the door is probably going to have an outsized impact. Conversely for the individual that is maybe minimum wage or just barely above that, you can only frugalize so much and there's different yeah. strategies for, for each of those. And, and I'm happy to have those very separate conversations, but I'd love just kind of before we go down to maybe one of those specifics, let's say that income, we can talk about how to grow your income, but it's a little bit vague and nebulous for this conversation. Let's look at like what makes up the core of those expenses. And Brad, I think has some excellent commentary because he actually left a very high cost of living area and kind of can speak to both ends of that. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when we talk about the financial equation, there's money in and there's money out. And for anybody who hasn't gone through that exercise of tracking your spending, I don't care if you're paycheck to paycheck or if you make six figures, it is eye-opening. Yeah, I totally agree, Jean. And that that's why our first piece of advice to everybody is, Jot down your expenses. Just create a simple Excel sheet and just see where the money's going. So to me, that's the starting point. But yeah, as Jonathan said, there are some major categories that if, if you get those right, or at least you're intentional about them, you can save significant money. So for instance, my wife and I, we grew up on, on Long Island, actually, in New York. And we got married in our mid-20s, and we just decided at that point, and this was far before we knew anything about Phi, but we just decided it was we didn't want to make a life there. It was just too expensive for us. And even though it was extraordinarily difficult to leave our family and friends, we actually moved down to Richmond, Virginia. My uh, job allowed me to transfer, and the cost of living here is probably about a third of what it was on Long Island. So just right there, we were saving a couple thousand dollars a month over what we had anticipated were going to be our housing expenses. So, you know, while not everybody, of course, is going to up and, and uproot their lives, like housing makes up a significant portion of your expenses. So that's clearly one area to look at. I think for us, cars, mm -hmm. that's been a huge win. My wife and I each drive a 2003. I drive a Honda Civic. She drives a Toyota Highlander. And these things, they're great. They still look fairly new. They drive well. They have well over 100,000 miles on them. And, and we haven't had a car payment, each of us, in over 10 years. I mean, that is an enormous, enormous difference. I mean, even just at $300 or $350 per person, you know, per car in essence. I mean, you're talking $700 a month, $8,400 a year. That's a huge number. And if you talk about compounding that over decades, it can literally be many hundreds of thousands of dollars just for driving a perfectly functional, but old car basically. So uh, that's been a huge win. And I guess for me, the third leg that we've done exceptionally well on is is with food expenses. So food is the thing, man. I yeah. mean, I'm telling you, when I look at people and their expenses, food is always the big Kelly is toasting us with her what I'm what I'm guessing is a ten dollar kale chocolate mint <laughs> smoothie, which looks as disgusting as I am assuming that it tastes. It's oh, it's food. Fun. Yeah, it is food. It really is. I mean, this is where people hemorrhage money. And I think to me, for us, it's about being intentional. So my wife, she loves to cook. She's a wonderful cook. She loves to experiment. This is a hobby of hers. And we just enjoy each other's company. We love, 
I love eating her food, and and you know we love just sitting there over. It's a, a glass symbiotic of wine. relationship. It is. Yeah. I have the same with my husband. Do you do you do the dishes, Brad? Because I, that's part of the deal in my house. Nice, nice. Yes, I certainly help out, and I'm I'm kind of the sous chef, so I, I help out in a lot of ways. But but she's clearly clearly the lead here. But you know, it's just a little bit of intentionality, Jean. I think that's the key. So Laura sets a plan on Sunday. She has maybe two meals that she'll cook, but instead of making them just for us to have one night, she'll make enough to have three nights worth. So instead of it being essentially two person meals, it's six person meals, right? It takes essentially the same amount of time to cook, maybe a little more, right? But it's having that plan down. So it saves us an hour each additional night Mm -hmm. that she's not cooking. And it of course saves on food costs and it just, and of course, without, without, it goes without saying that it's so much healthier eating in than going out, right? We think we're winning in every way. And then we have a couple staples. Like we have our, now thanks to Jonathan, actually, I don't know if I told him this, but we have our, our tofu night on Wednesdays. And that's just the set plan. And we, it's just simple. And when you apply that intentionality and you're not scrambling at six o'clock at night every night, and then running to the grocery store and grabbing the pre-made food for $10 a pound, right? Like, it, you it, No, it does. Money. It saves you so much money. And we do it slightly differently in my house. I mean, I make enough generally for two meals. We freeze one, and that way we just come back to it a few weeks later, and it doesn't feel repetitive in that way. But it, it does. It saves a ton of time and a ton of money. You mentioned Laura, and, and I wanted to... Just get a sense of, you know, when you poll the listeners of Choose Fi, when you are in the Choose Fi Facebook groups, how big of this base is women and how and why does it appeal to women specifically? Yeah, our private Facebook group, our main Facebook group has over 30,000 people in at this point. And actually some recent demographics, it's actually like 52% women currently. The age brackets are pretty spread evenly from 18 to 55 being the largest demographic, but kind of split pretty evenly throughout. And I mean, these are families of all income levels pursuing financial independence. And I think one of the things that makes the group so engaging is this idea, the idea of financial independence is not a hard sell. Hey, how about we all try to get to the point where working is optional? Man, that sounds great. And then when you actually get there, it's also awesome, right? We're here. Wow, that was fantastic. But in the middle, even though it's quickish, right, it's still 10 to 15 years. And there's a Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you're the only person thinking like this, that's kind of a lonely way you start to question your choices. But if you realize that there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are pursuing this and doing this, and you can document their stories, suddenly it's it's empowering for you as an individual to say, I want to, I need to be doing this too. And what we've been able to see is increasingly is just highlight the stories from the individuals that honestly are better at this than we are. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I feel the same way about our Her Money private Facebook community. These are women who help each other and answer each other's questions and are at different stages on their journeys. I, I had a Her Money happy hour over the past weekend and in the room, because not me, but somebody said, can we all just say our ages? I realized there were people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And that was just so amazing to me that everybody felt like there was something to learn from the different stages that we were on our various journeys. 
and I want to point just one thing out. You know, the biggest comment that I get from people that found this maybe later on, maybe in their 50s, is not, oh, it didn't work. Oh, this was a lie. Or, oh, there was some hook at the end. But rather, why didn't I find out about this in, in my 20s? Why didn't somebody tell me about this? Because it's such an obvious choice when you see it. And it can be fun when you're doing it with a community of like-minded individuals. One last question before I wrap this up. When we're talking about expenses, what about when one of those expenses is crushing student loan debt? That is a very complicated question. (laughs) Uh, There are tons of solutions if you have not yet taken on the student loan debt. And I encourage anybody before taking on tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to go get a degree to absolutely evaluate that choice before taking it on lightly, because it is always harder to pay it off than it is to take out in the first place. And it also limits your choices in many cases. But for the individual that has the student loan debt, you then there are a few options available. One is obviously, hopefully you got the degree because you weighed the economics and you were able to earn a job that brings in enough income to justify that. If you aren't, well, let's figure out how to increase the income and set aside more of that to pay off the loans. Two, if your debt to income ratio is over two to one, If it's over two to one and you have federal loans, that's when it is probably time to start looking into one of the, or at least to consider looking into one of the forgiveness programs. So for instance, you have $100,000 in government loans, but hey, you came out and your job's only making $40,000 a year. Um, That's when the math on whether or not one of these student loan forgiveness programs really starts to become more appealing. And there's, that's an additional conversation, but that's something to look into as well. But the biggest thing is once you have it, figure out a way to grind it out and get it out of the way. Because really, it's once you get to debt-free or once you get rid of all of your consumer debt plus student loans, that's when the clock really starts ticking on being able to build your financial independence portfolio. Absolutely. And I think when you're talking about forgiveness, you're talking about income-based repayment that after 20 or 25 years forgives whatever is left at the the end there, correct? (laughs) Yes. Now, I should state for the record that when I was talking about that individual with six figures of student loan debt, that was me. I graduated college with $168,000 in student loan debt, and I was making an entry-level six-figure salary. And I tell you, for the first four years after I graduated, basically, I paid my taxes and then I sent every extra dollar I had to student loans for four years, living off my wife's teacher, uh, my wife's teacher salary, basically. So it's just, you know, you sometimes you just have to pay the piper and it's it's not fun. And sometimes it's just you prioritize, you suffer through it, and then you are able to move on with your life in a fun and independent way. Brad, Jonathan, the podcast is Choose Fi. We will look for you on Facebook, and we hope you'll come back. I think this is just so fascinating, and I could talk about it for hours. We would love to come back. Thanks so much for having us, Gene. Thank you, guys. And our producer, Kelly Hultgren, has joined me in the studio. Hello. Hi. Are you as obsessed with this fire movement as I am? Well, as you pointed out to people, I'm drinking a $12 smoothie. So $12? I think it was around $12. Wow. It's very large. It's, I mean, it, large. you won't have to eat for the rest of the day. It's filling, and I'm not, I promise I'm not lying to myself. It's actually filling. I've had it before, and it did sustain me for a few hours, um, but I paid extra for the greens. So I'm not saving 50% of my income. You Okay. Can I know what you are paid. Yeah. I also know you live in New York City. Yeah. 50% of my income goes to rent. Yeah. It depends on where you live. I was very fortunate to not graduate with student debt, but all the while, I'm so happy you asked that question because I'm thinking, like, how do so many people who are either paying back their student loans or who are helping their children with student loans, how do they do this? Yeah. 
you know, and, and like even no matter where you live. What I like from this movement and what I think is so important about the fact that people are actually doing it is that it does show that our finances are more in our control overall than we like to think that they are. Mm -hmm. And we can take some element of control from that. So maybe you can't save 50% of your income, but maybe you can save 2 or 5 or 10% more than you're saving now, and that gives you some choices mm -hmm. along the way. I also think that being intentional about earning more is something that not enough women mm -mm. allow ourselves to do. I find making money drives me. me I too. enjoy making money. I think there's nothing wrong with making money. There was a quote in the New York Times recently from Aminatou Sow, mm -hmm. who hosts the Call Your Girlfriend yes. podcast with Ann Friedman, who we had on this show. So good. And Amina basically said, I want to be rich. Yes. I want every woman I know to be rich. What is wrong with that? I and know. I agree. What do we have? Questions. First, we'll do one from Michelle. My son is 19 and a sophomore in college. He has been blessed with having GI Bill benefits transferred from his dad and 23000 in scholarships from the university for cost of attendance. Since the GI Bill covers tuition and fees, along with a monthly stipend, he has a portion of his scholarship money refunded to him each semester. Currently, he has about $20,000 in savings as he starts the fall semester. My question is, what would be the best type of investment for him to make now? I want him to keep about half of the money in savings in case something happens with scholarship funding or to use towards studying abroad, but it sounds like she is interested in how he could start growing his wealth. Well, it's unclear to me from the question about whether any of that money is earned income or whether he has earned income from another source. So if if he is working at all or he has a summer job, I would say open a Roth IRA and try to put 5500 a year, that number goes up, by the way, to 6000 in 2019, as much as you can to be equal to the earned income into that account so that it can grow tax-free in the future. And then boring is better, my friends. I just <laughs> – I would put it in a very low-cost, highly diversified portfolio. That can be an index fund. It could be an exchange-traded fund. It should mostly be in stocks with the uh, with the caveat that this is money that is going to grow for the future. And then if he can make one contribution, because we're at the point in the year where you can make a contribution both for 2018 and 2019, you may be able to get all that money in mm -hmm. to the Roth. He just sounds like an amazing kid. So congrats on raising an amazing kid. Yeah, absolutely. And now we'll do one more from Donna. My daughter has no credit and is out of college without a degree. I would like her to build credit. What is the best credit card for this situation? Donna, there are so many kids in her boat, and uh, there are two ways to go. First, you didn't mention if she has an income. If she has an income, she will likely qualify for a regular old credit card that um, gives her a, a starter-sized credit limit and um, allows her to just build credit by paying her bills on time and not using too much of that credit limit at any one time. If you go to the website Card Hub, you'll find they rank their cards by the kind of credit score you have to have in order to qualify for one. So pull her credit score. If she's in the fair range, you'll find some cards. If she's in the good range, you'll find some cards. 
And just the most important things for somebody like her are that it shouldn't cost anything and you want the interest rate to be as low as possible. Don't get caught up in worrying about rewards. If she has a bad credit score and she is unable to qualify for a card on her own, the answer is a secured credit card. And essentially, she'll put a couple hundred dollars on deposit with the issuing bank. That will become her credit limit. She will still have to pay her bills on time every time each month. And within about 18 to 24 months, many secured cards will just convert to become regular plain Mm -hmm. vanilla credit cards and her deposit will be refunded. So um, again, Card Hub will issue a list of the best secured cards. So that's how I do that. Nice. Thank you, Jean. And thank you everyone for your questions. You can ask them at hermoney.com. And you can also find more conversations like these ones, like you mentioned throughout the show, too, in our private Facebook group. That's right. And that's where we let you know where the upcoming Her Money Happy Hours are. Yes. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment, and we have another gender gap to discuss. This time it's the stress gap. Guess who experiences more stress, Kelly Giggles? It's women. So what's the deal with this? Well, research from the Journal of Brain and Behavior notes, women are twice as likely to suffer from severe stress and anxiety as men are. And the research points the finger at the fact that women do more unpaid domestic work than men and are also under the stress of the sort of emotional labor that comes from trying to do too many things at once. The tangible way to close this gap, first, Welcome self-care and don't write it off as selfish. Practicing self-care could be as simple as exercising, getting enough sleep, that's seven to nine hours a night, and filling your body with nourishing foods. My personal strategy for reducing stress is my run. I get out there, I put on my shoes, I run. Even when I don't feel like running, I go for a run and I always feel better when I'm done. Kelly, what's yours? Mm, mine's also getting outside, not running, but walking, and silence. I feel like so many times we silence in a weird way. There's walking around New York City, you're not going to be completely silent. silent, but not having anything in my ears. So no music, no listening to anything. Just having kind of like it's. I feel like it's like walking meditation almost. Excellent. Yes. Love that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on Her Money. Thank you to Jonathan and Brad of Choose Five for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with another great guest. And we'll talk soon.